the third place. It's been a fun little Halloween celebration, but we're back to some excellent games from the past. And I'm here with someone very special. Honestly, I'm so excited to have him on. He's has such a refined aesthetic taste and history that I knew I wanted him on from the get-go. So welcome, Scott. How are you doing, Scott? Good. How are you, Sam? Oh, I'm just doing peachy. It's it's a nice Saturday afternoon. It's a little it's a little overcast here, but I'm so excited for today just because we get to talk about a trilogy of Genesis games that honestly probably def- define the system itself, the Streets of Rage trilogy. It's also the first Genesis game I games that I get to talk about and it's a, a nice way to also just talk about Sega. Uh, a company that I think has much to do with making games cool and exciting, even before PlayStation. So I wanted to start off today asking you, what is your sort of history with games? I know you, whenever we've talked before, you've told me about the sort of Genesis games that you owned or the Game Gear games that you owned. You're always telling me which ones to buy, and I, I always write them down to make sure I remember so I, I wanted to know the the history behind Scott's gaming past. Okay. Um, so I was born in 1984. So I've been through like every single era of video games. So the first thing I ever owned was a Game Boy. I was probably four or five when I had that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that probably would have been like 1989 when I got mm-hmm. that. Uh, I think the only games I ever actually owned for that that I can remember are Super Mario Land and Battletoads and and Tetris. Tetris. And um, then I remember the summer before, I think, kindergarten, I had a babysitter who's this college girl. (laughs) And... I don't really like know why she did this. This makes like no sense to me in retrospect because I didn't really question it at the time. She took me to this store called Children's Palace one afternoon and she bought me an NES like with her own money. I have no idea why. <laughs> I've never heard of a babysitter just like going out of their way to just like give one of their like kids a console. <laughs> I it, it was so weird. I, I started thinking about that this week because I knew we were going to talk about this. And I was like, why did she do that? It was the weirdest thing ever. I, she, I remember, like, I mean, I was like, I was so happy. Of course, yeah. And uh, so this would have been, oh, do you know when Super Mario Brothers 3 came out? Was that 1990? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Probably. 90. Um, so I remember I'd been like really hyped for that game, even though I didn't own an NES because it was featured in the movie The Wizard. Yeah, I remember The Wizard. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> and, tur- uh, the, the tournament. I think we actually might have owned that in VHS because I watched it so many times. For, when you were, kid, <laughs> when you were really, kid, did you want to own the Power Glove? Oh, yeah. I had friends who owned it. But, um, but yeah, I, so I'd been playing NES for a while like at my friends' houses, but all I had was a Game Boy I mean, God, I was so young, but it's crazy how I can remember all this. And um, I remember my parents just didn't want to get me a video game console because they didn't want me hogging up the TV. It's like, <laughs> this is early 90s. Like, most people only had one TV in their house, you know? Yeah. 
And uh, yeah, so I remember my babysitter this one afternoon, it was during the summer. She was like, do you want me to buy you a Nintendo? I was like, <laughs> it wasn't like my birthday or anything. I, I guess she must have been rich or something. I she, have to have been. She had to have been only like 19 or 20. So she took me to the store called Children's Palace, <laughs> which um, was this big toy store that was like similar to Toys R Us. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't exist anymore. Uh, but it was like castle themed and the mascot was a panda bear <laughs> and uh, it was a really cute store and so I remember she took me there and we bought an NES Mario Brothers 3 Mario Brothers 2 and Yoshi's Cookie damn she, she really shilled out for you to get like three games not just one it was so weird but I didn't even question it I was like yeah. why are you doing this like <laughs> I this is like, what every babysitter does. <laughs> I thought like my family was like poor or anything. Like, we'll, we'll get into it later, but I was kind of spoiled as a kid, honestly. <laughs> and uh, uh, so yeah, I had that. And then later, then after, I remember our, my parents came home that day. Were like, "Wow, you have a Nintendo now! What, what the hell?" <laughs> and so, um, because of that, though, I ended up getting a TV in my bedroom. Because my parents, like I said, like my parents didn't want me hogging up the TV in the living room playing video games all day. Like, because they come home from work at night, they want to watch TV. Yeah. They got me a TV for my bedroom so I could play Nintendo in there and not bother them. Just fucking amazing. That must have been the greatest stretch of like receiving anything, and especially not around a holiday or a birthday. It's like, yeah. Get get a Nintendo. You get three games, a new TV just for you. I, dude, I I really don't remember if they went out. I I mean, they must have just gone out and bought me a TV. It was a big <laughs> TV too, or maybe they gave me the one from the living room. I really don't know. But, <laughs> they they just gave you the living room. It's like okay, time to upgrade. And my birthday is in summer. It's in mm-hmm. August. So I remember she got me this console because she was like my summertime babysitter. Like my parents were at work. She saved me during the daytime. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, like this must have been like June probably when I got it. Uh huh. My birthday is in August. So then I got all, of course, all I wanted was NES games Mm -hmm. for my birthday. So then I got Metroid. Oh, nice. uh, Castlevania 2. Oh, <laughs> Simon's is it Simon's Quest, Simon's Curse. Yeah. yeah, Simon's Quest. That game is sick. And uh, so, yeah. And then I, I don't think I got any more NES games after that because then I got a Game Gear. Oh, yeah. Prob- which probably was then that Christmas because I think the Game Gear came out in 1990. Somewhere around there. Because it, it was still an 8-bit system. Um, yeah, it was... 8990 I, th- I definitely remember it being prior to the genesis but uh yeah i cuz i can't remember getting any nes games after simon's quest i think that was the last one i got cuz i remember metroid and simon's quest were like the two i played all the time it was so sick though sam like yeah. i was like 6 7 years old i had a tv in my bedroom could play video games all day all i wanted I had friends over. We could all, you know, <laughs> yeah, that, that, it, this this all you get you get a new home console just 
right on the spot, a new TV, and then you also get a handheld system to go outside your room. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm so like, I think don't think people understand, especially the you know Zoomers nowadays, where it's like you know where they have a phone glued to their hand. It's like the joy of getting a handheld console is like honestly just as or even bigger than like a home console. Like I remember when I got a a Game Boy Advance and I. And it was because my parents were just like, they were tired of me being annoying because I would have to go to football games to see my brothers play. Like I would go to swim meets across the country. And I think my parents were just like tired of me just like asking, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And being bored. So just like, here, have a Game Boy advance. And I was like, like it was I was I immediately shut up. I started glued to that tiny little like color screen. I remember, I think my first Game Boy Advance game was SSX3, which that's an awful port, but it was like so novel to me, like being able to take my snowboarding game like across the road, like across the country or across on road trips. It's all I needed. And that was like 2001, I'm guessing, when that came out, the Game Boy Advance. Yeah, the, the the advance came out in two thousand one, but I didn't get it till like two thousand four when it was probably which pro- that was right before the DS too, and the DS was two thousand four. Because yeah, I remember that was a pretty amazing handheld. I never owned one. I never owned any Nintendo anything after the NES actually. Oh yeah, um, that... but I remember the batteries on that were terrible because I had a friend in high school who owned one. The yeah, the advance definitely. <laughs> the- I know that the the original advance definitely oh. it didn't have a backlight screen so like they sold those like attachments that had let you see at night uh I think the advance still took batteries cuz the the one I had which was like the remodel was a rechargeable battery so mm-hmm. they kind of fixed that oversight but yeah and they they never went back to batteries I think with the DS like as soon as they figure out like charging batteries were better or more preferable. It's like out out the door with double A's. Oh, the Game Gear the batteries were horrible. I mean, that that system was a big deal. I don't even know how popular it was. I really don't know. You probably know better than I. I but um, it it had it, its fan base, but it definitely was nowhere near the Game Boy. Like I, the Game Gear has always fascinated me because. It was on paper. It's much better than the than the Game Boy. It has a color screen. It had it was bigger too. It was, and it it had. I want to say it had better looking games, like just pure graphics wise. Like it, it oh for sure. It, it, yeah, it was on paper everything better, but because it drained through batteries like like hog wild, it never took off i think just because the game boy you could like put four double four double a's and it just like last for weeks um oh god yeah I, I remember taking the game gear with me like on the like car rides with my family and like by the time i got home it already be dead <laughs> but it was a huge deal though to me when it came out because i think it was the first color handheld system there's the atari Lynx. Yeah, I only knew one other person who owned one. Yeah, which, the... was, which was kind of a piece of shit. From yeah. <laughs> that was that was the midst of Atari, uh, trying desperately to get back into the race with the Jaguar, uh, the the world's yeah, first sixty four bit console. 
Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, okay. You froze up for a sec. Um, but yeah, I only had one other friend who owned a Game Gear. He was like a block away from me, and he had the TV tuner for it. Oh, that's Have so you cool. seen that? Like, yeah, yes, you can I... watch TV on the Game Gear. Yeah, it's it that was so that the, the, the we'll get to it, but like Sega was so so forward thinking with everything. Like, you know, the 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 Game Boy Advance had basically the same idea but it was just like episodes on a cartridge and it was like like but sega was so far advanced and like everything i remember you posted about the sega channel uh which let you uh get games streamed over the satellite and you could demo all these and play all these games on your tv like that was pre you know that was well before online gaming was even a consideration well that was uh that was something you had to sign up for through your cable company. Yeah, wasn't and it? So it was a cartridge you put in your Genesis. Then the cartridge itself had a port on it that you plugged in. You had to use like a special adapter to hook into your cable line. Oh, the... So you signed up through your cable company and they sent you this cartridge, I believe. I never mm-hmm. had it. I didn't know anyone who had it. But um, yeah, that thing looked sick. And yeah. so then it would download i was reading about it this week because I, I never really understood how the hell it worked mm-hmm. this thing seems so advanced for the time that came out in like mid 90s it was like towards the end of the genesis lifespan mm-hmm. but um yeah it would download games onto the cartridge just like temporarily and as soon as you turned the console off would erase them mm-hmm. but uh yeah it was like 15 bucks a month but it sounds like an insane deal. I remember when I was a kid, like begging my parents for it, and they like looked it up, and they're like, "This sounds way too complicated." When I- <laughs> so, but, but yeah, like it was so like we'll we'll save it for the proper Sega part. But it's like you know, Sega in the '90s was like literally they were just too early on so many ideas. But like now like 10 years later after they would like introduce an idea like some it became like the mainstream so to say like the the sega channel premise basically was the, these online stores that you have on co- modern consoles where you could download games to your system or try demos off off of games like it's basically that but like through 90s means of you know pre-internet like early day internet yeah um I don't know if it had multiplayer on it though. Probably not. I'm guessing. Probably. Yeah, yeah I, that would involved like streaming or whatever. But I remember in Electronic Gaming Monthly, uh, every month they would have like the rankings. They'd have like a page dedicated to, like Sega Channel rankings. Mm-hmm. Like you could become like a famous player, <laughs> like, like on it or whatever, like based on your name. And it would like list everyone's names and like their like profiles or whatever. And, yeah. Uh, but yeah, they'd have like contests and stuff you could win. Like if you scored the most points in a game or whatever, you could like they would like send you shit. It sounds like the coolest thing ever. Oh, but man, yeah. You you DM'd me that one specific one before we started recording with oh. Subterraria. Like you had to beat the game on the hardest difficulty. You had to take a picture of the screen, po- post the special victory screen, and then send it to them to potentially win a grand prize of going to New York or LA, or if you didn't get the first or the grand prize, you still get a Sega CDX, which is equally, if, if I were a kid, I would have been like, uh, hell yeah, I get a free console out of this. 
Oh my god. I know. That contest sounded so sick. So yeah, um a couple hours before we start recording, just to hype myself up for this episode. I was going through my um like pretty much the only things I have from my childhood still are comic books and a handful of magazines. Mm -hmm. So I was like flipping through all these <laughs> Marvel comic books and stuff like Ren and Stimpy and shit and mm -hmm. X-Men and just uh sending Sam the the uh genesis ads and yep. uh, that contest sounded so cool though because like yeah you'd have to take you'd have to beat the game at the highest difficulty take a picture go get the picture developed <laughs> it, and the, then the, mail it in the 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 absolute dedication it took and this is even pre the days of like knowing properly how to take a picture of your tv screen too like i i yeah. I, I, I can't remember it might have been a Nintendo magazine that like told kids how to properly take a picture of the TV screen so that glare would you wouldn't have awful, awful glare. But I, oh my god, it's these those early magazines are like literally like infinite treasure. Like I, I I've been needing to own a lot more because my game store has like a literal like storage bin full of them for like five dollars. I'm just like I feel like just Old gaming magazines. Yeah, they they have all like the Nintendo Power. Like they just have a literal storage bin of hundreds of them, like for five dollars. Yeah. Like and yeah, they're all in really good condition too. They're not like ripped apart or like in splayed or anything. God, I'm surprised those uh, Nintendo powers aren't really expensive because that's such like a Budman thing now. Mm -hmm. Like anything Nintendo related, you think that could all be like fifty bucks? Well, the the Bugmen go for specifically the games themselves. Like if you were, I I've had to endure this so much. It's like, like for example, like the Genesis, like my Genesis that I bought was fifty dollars. But if you want to get like a Super Nintendo, it's a hundred dollars. Or if you want. Uh, like a GameCube is a hundred dollars. The N sixty four is a hundred dollars. While the my Genesis was fifty dollars and my Dreamcast was seventy dollars. Like, and granted, now the Dreamcast is now more expensive just because of uh inflation. You know all that fun things. But I, I, I genuinely hate the Nintendo fan. Like they're they're awful people. Like they, I just. They make it harder for me to own games that I want to play. Like it's, uh, like it's like all these like the the they the bugmen are specifically focused on the GameCube right now. Like buying a GameCube game is like awful. Like any any good Nintendo GameCube game is going to be at bare minimum forty dollars. Like I I've seen like Super Mario Sunshine like the game you think of arguably with the GameCube is like $80 right now. Jesus. It, it It's so bad. Like that's why, that's why I, I have a Wii because the Wii can play GameCube games, but it's still like, gee, I wanted to own Metal Gear Solid, the twin snakes. That's $120. Was like, that a GameCube exclusive? Yeah. Twin snakes was a GameCube exclusive. Cause God, man, when the GameCube came out, I mean, I was like, granted, I was like, older teen at that point mm -hmm. like uh no one maybe I, I guess like children cared more about it but no one i knew give a shit about no it's movie. it definitely <laughs> was for like my age group which would have been like young kid or, or early teen but because like i remember a friend of mine him and his twin brother 
they had a GameCube and all we would play is Mario Kart Double Dash. That was like the only reason that like was the reason to pop open the 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 GameCube was just to play multiplayer Mario games. But I it, I think this the GameCube is probably one of their better ones because it has some interesting games on it. I still think like Eternal Darkness is one of the coolest game premises out of anything where it's like the game has a sanity meter where it like actively starts to fuck with you, like where it will randomly decapitate your character's head off or it will pretend switch the video input on you. Uh, a la Metal Gear Solid 1. But I don't want to get too di- uh, off topic, but you you got a Game Gear. So what was the next uh, step in S- Scott's journey? Um. Okay, so... Uh... I guess that lasted about a year when I just had the Game Gear and the NES. But I was, like, really into my Game Gear. And I had one friend who was, like, a block away from me who owned one, too. So we were always trading games and shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, then uh, I remember then around Christmas time came, which is probably 92, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so I had to choose between a Super Nintendo or a Genesis. And I chose the Genesis. <laughs> and um, actually, I DM'd you an ad from Sears Funtronics. Oh, yeah, the, the free That's Sonic it. CD, right? No, that was the Toys R Us ad. Oh, okay. Oh, but at the end, did you notice that Sonic 3 was $70 when it came out? Oh, yeah, that's right, because it had the, the, the lock-in technology, probably. That was probably why it was cost so much. That was cause... 94 I did the inflation on that, $140 today's dollars it's pre- but it came with a free- if you pre-ordered it from toys r us uh you got that cd of oh my Sonic music which uh, is probably worth a lot now but oh, probably has to be sorry to the listeners if i'm rambling i'm a little drunk already no it's it's fine i <laughs> i i want this this is like the genesis episode and i could you're like the primo knowledge center of like Genesis and Sega. Like I knew, like as soon as we got off, like we started just rambling about like anything Genesis or like Sega or anything. I just like, this is perfect. I love it. Okay. So anyway, um, back to Sears Frontronics. So this is like totally forgotten about. And then I totally jogged my memory when I saw that double page ad I DM'd you earlier mm-hmm. of it. I was in an X-Men comic. That I still own, and mm-hmm. uh, but there was a time when Sears had a video game store inside of inside of Sears, mm-hmm. and we never went to Sears when I was a kid. Yeah, it was already kind of considered trashy. Yeah, at that point. <laughs> um, but they they still had Sears at like every mall, and I remember there was huge advertising glitz for Sears Funtronics. And uh, like they like every magazine, comic book, they would have these like really sick looking ads, but like mm-hmm. Sears, Sears Funtronics, and they were really cool and like edgy looking for the time. Like the aesthetics were really cool. Yeah. And uh, so I remember being like telling my parents like I need to go to Sears because they they like knew I wanted a video game console for Christmas. Mm-hmm. I didn't know which one, so I was like. Next time we're at the mall, I have to go to Sears Funtronics and demo both <laughs> systems because Sears Funtronics looks like the coolest video game store ever. And it was just a fucking like section of this 
of Sears, but it yeah, was like a yeah. full video game store. They had like everything. And um, mm-hmm. so I remember going to Sears Funtronics playing while well, my parents went and shop the rest of the mall. And I hung out there for an hour. I played both the Super Nintendo and the Genesis. And I chose the Genesis because it just seemed cooler to me. And they had like a bunch of games like a demo. But I'm not going to say the name of the NFL player, but before I ever played Genesis, I did first play Super Nintendo. And I was at an NFL player's house uh, for a Christmas party because his, he actually, no, he was a former NFL player and he was retired, but then he became a sports announcer. And then his daughter went to school with my older sister. Uh-huh. And uh, so I went to, we went, they had this huge Christmas party one year, and that was the first time I ever played a Super Nintendo. Mm-hmm. That, so I'd already played it at that point, but I'd never played a Genesis. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, but yeah, once I played a Genesis, I was like, I, I need to get this because it just seemed like so much like, cooler and edgier. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I ended up getting a Genesis. Hold on. I sent you a list of all the games I um, yeah, pulled pull up. That list is fantastic i was like so, you had like basically everyone like every classic game like everyone would rave about like i'm ultra uh, ultimate mortal kombat 3 the sonic game streets of rage like, well i had streets of rage 3 i didn't own the other two but mm-hmm. i did play streets of rage 2 a lot at my friend's house because his older brother had it and i was like worshiped his older brother because i didn't have a brother mm-hmm it seemed like the ultimate like cool kid game. So mm-hmm. I like played that all the time at his house. So I never owned it though. But uh so yeah, I remember I got a Genesis, which came with Sonic the Hedgehog at the time. And then uh let's go in order, which because I, I try to list them in which order I own the games that I send yeah. them to you. So my dad bought me Alien 3. <laughs> That's so cool. Because um this is actually, this is, wasn't one of the first games I got, but it's kind of funny. Um, my dad, like, uh, he's, like, obsessed with the Alien movies and, like, H.R. Giger. Mm-hmm. And stuff like Aliens was the first R-rated movie I ever saw. And uh, I remember my dad and I were at Target, and he saw, we, like, walked past the electronic section. He saw the Alien 3 Genesis game, and he was like, oh, they made an Alien video game? <laughs> And like, he like never gave a shit about video games before. We owned a computer, and I'm I know he owned a submarine game. The uh, I think it was for the Hunt for Red October, but that's the only video game he had ever played before that point, <laughs> as far as I know. That's such like a dad game. Oh yeah, yeah. And he's like a total like typical boomer who loves submarines. But he bought <laughs> me Alien Three just so he could watch me play it because he like loved that movie, <laughs> and. Uh, so he got me that. So I don't know if that was the second game I owned, but I remember that Christmas I got the Genesis. Sonic was the only game I got. I don't think I had any other games. But then um, I gradually, my parents would buy me more games over time. So one of the first games I got was X-Men, uh, which was like, because like, this was like 93, I guess, when that mm-hmm. came out. And uh X-Men work all the rage. I got X-Men and Road Rash 2. Uh, have you played any of the Road Rash games, by the way? I haven't. I've been meaning to. Like, I know that they're sort of like the Genesis stalwarts in terms of like that, 
you know, they're, they're one of the Genesis stalwarts, like must owns. Well, cause that was like one of the benefits to the Genesis was the games were like faster. Yeah. The, the Super <laughs> Nintendo was like superior in every way, but the Genesis said better marketing. Yeah. Blast processing. Think, right. Which is bullshit, I guess. But <laughs> at the time, like it seemed like super edgy. And like, if you're like an eight year old kid who like wanted to be like a cool, like athletic, a cool teen, you got the Genesis because <laughs> the game seemed way more edgier. So Road Rash, though, to the people listening who have no idea what these games are, there are three of them for the Genesis. And they're like a motorcycle racing game, but you could also like fight to like fight yep. the other mm-hmm. racers. It was the sickest shit ever. Like I was obsessed with that. So I got Road Rash 2, X-Men, and then I'm pretty sure after that, then I got Mortal Kombat. Oh, hell yeah. Which I could go on for ages about Mortal Kombat. Um, like, I can't even like describe enough like how huge of a deal Mortal Kombat was. It, <laughs> it, it's very much like a, a watershed moment type game. Like it, I mentioned this on the Night Trap episode with Alex. It's like the Genesis had the Genesis had the uncensored, well, technically the uncensored version of Mortal Kombat home port it had night trap. And then it had I'm blanking on the, that sh- the shooting game that they also talked about in the Congress hearings, but it's like lethal enforcers. Yeah. Yeah. It's lethal enforcers. Cause it had the gun, the gun peripheral that looked like a revolver. And that was like literally the only point that they cared about is because it was a real looking gun. But mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think like you're saying, the Genesis was so cool the you know having the uncensored home port of Mortal Kombat, you know Mortal Kombat Two, I think later uncensored for the SNES versions, but I feel yeah, they they all had blood after the first one. Yeah, but, but I feel like and maybe you have some credence to this. It's like the Mortal Kombat home versions. I think you would think of the Genesis versions, not the Super Nintendo versions. Well, yeah, because they had the blood code. Yeah, the, the code you had to type in to get it. But I was so into Mortal Kombat. Okay, so before it ever even came out for home console, I had been playing in arcades. Um, like, I cannot describe like enough how huge of a deal Mortal Kombat was because it was easier to play than the Street Fighter 2. Because, yeah, Street Fighter 2 came up before that, mm-hmm. I believe. I think so, too. Fighting games were fucking hard back in the day. They were like, there was a huge learning curve to figure out how to play them, especially, oh, yeah. in, especially in arcades. So there was this arcade. So I'm from uh, suburban St. Louis. I grew up like in an inner ring suburb, which is only like a few miles from the city limits. And uh, there was this arcade called Exilorama, which mm-hmm. our mutual friend, same name, I believe, used to go there as well because we grew up really close to each other. We didn't mm-hmm. know each other growing up, but um, I, might, I think might have crossed paths. Never know. I think Sammy and I have talked about this place before. There's this arcade called Zorama. You can look it up online. Uh, there was like a few other locations like scattered around the country, but it was inside. It was a on the basement level of this mall. This like really old mall um, that was like near my house, and. Uh, it was such a phenomenon. Like, if you would go there, like, basically, like, you go to the mall with your mom, she'd drop you off at Exilorama, she'd go shop for a couple hours, she'd give you, like, 
15 bucks or whatever, and then you just play games, there would be, you go in there in Mortal Kombat, they'd have like 20 of the games, and there'd be a line to play every single one. Holy like, shit. Like, it was such a huge deal. Because I mean, it had blood, uh, there was actual, what the hell is it called? Like when they actually like, shoot actors and then digitize uh, them. Uh, I forget the technical term, but yeah, they they used real people and mo. It's not like motion capture, but they basically had these actors do the moves and poses and like, uh, put those images in the game as if like they're real people. Yeah. So anyway, like I was like a little kid, but I would I was like I spent like six months trying to get good at that game because I would play it like every weekend because my mom went to the mall all the time. Mm-hmm. So I'll go to the mall and try to get good at Mortal Kombat, and I fucking suck because I was a little kid. And arcades were like huge thing for like edgy teens at the time. Yeah. There's always like cool kid teenagers with like backwards hats and shit, like <laughs> you know, like typical like '90s teenagers, you know. Yeah. And um, they're all like way better, and they would like make fun of you and like cuss you out, like because basically the way it work is like if you there'd be a line. And but whoever kept winning got to stay in the yeah. queue. Then if you lost and you had to get out of line, then the next person had to play them. So there'd always be like teenagers who were really good good at the game. Yeah, they so fucking mean to you. <laughs> like you're like a little kid, you know. <laughs> it's it's sorely. I mean, the closest thing I can think of is just being in like online lobbies of like Mo- Modern Warfare Two, where everyone's just screaming the N word at each other. Like, oh, right. definitely the first time I've ever called a faggot was when I was eight years old playing Mortal Kombat. <laughs> definitely, like they would say the meanest shit to you, and you know, like it, you've got thick skin though. Like you never really yeah. take it seriously. The, the arcade was the battleground back in the day. Yeah. Oh my god, this arcade was so cool though because it was like right by the exit of the mall so there'd be all these cool teens hanging out smoking cigarettes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? such, that's such a cool <laughs> image too. Oh my god, I I, I envy that Like, because arcades were basically already done for for me. So like my only arcade experience is like at mall at movie theaters. Mm-hmm. So like <laughs> I, I just I love the image of like a young you just like with all these teenagers <laughs> calling you faggot for like mm-hmm. being awful with like Sonya. Oh yeah. And uh I, I feel bad for yeah, I, I know you're you're probably technically a millennial, right? You're born in ninety five. Yeah, like back end millennial. Yeah. But um yeah, I feel bad for Zoomers that never got to experience something like this. It was such a huge deal. Like that's what you did on the weekends. You went to the arcade. You know, if you, I mean, if you live near one at least. Yeah, I I mentioned with Fryan on the on the Tekken episode, just like how I think te- it's sorely missed the sort of cultural presence arcades have. I mean, the only oh like intact experience that you probably can get are like in big cities. Like I know L.A. still has like a few arcades that people frequent to. Like I remember watching videos of like how like Street Fighter 4 in 2008, like they would bring those machines to those arcades. But like, that's the only American equivalent is like, you have to be in like a giant big city to get that. Like the only old, like old American equivalent would probably be in Japan. Like that's, which I envy the Japanese still that they have arcades. Oh my God, me too. Like, I mean, granted I'm like old now, but like, I just feel bad that like kids don't 
there's no way like an American kid will ever experience that ever again. No, like, it, kid. like it was such a huge thing back in the day. It, it was so, it's so tied to the, the nineties experience of just like going to the arcade and then suddenly there's a new machine waiting for you and it's got the best graphics, the best, you know, whatever, whatever you could think of. And it would just be like, it would be like, just be like, oh, wow, like there's a like Mortal Kombat 2 is now here and it's got even more characters and all that sort of something like, oh, my God, it's Mortal Kombat 2. You would not believe how big of a deal that was. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit. It's 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 a very missed period and a missed experience. And, you know, I wish I got to see it proper like you did. Um, But it's hard to keep on track. It's like video games are cool. And it's like, you can't help yourself, but you know, you got mortal Kombat for your Genesis. And I think, I guess that's a good way to segue into the talk about the Genesis, just because, you know, the, the Genesis I think is important to the history of games let alone it being, you know, it came out in America in 80, was it 89 or 90? I think it was 89. Yeah, it was 89. It, I think it took a while to catch on too. Yeah, it was not it was not a system seller at first when it came out. It was the first 16-bit system. It beat Nintendo in America, it actually beat Nintendo by 2 years. Like that was that would never happen today. But the Genesis was I think a special little machine that Embod- like it really Sega back then really understood how to like once they got off when they got the off the ground and running I think they understood how to get their own market pace and t- steal it from Nintendo I mean you have to remember back in the day like Nintendo owned video games I think they had like a, almost a 90% share of the market when the Genesis came out and then within like two years, Sega actually owned had a majority of the industry, and it, you you have to look back at all these amazing games that were not Nintendo, for lack of a better way to say it. I mean, like the games we're talking about, Streets of Rage, but you know the main mascot character of of the Genesis is a sassy uh, blue hedgehog who goes fast, and uh, if you don't moved him at all he will start like looking at you and tap telling you what are you doing get going you had you know you had games that were pushing the boundary with sort of violence and sex so to say like i think of splatterhouse 2 splatterhouse 2 and 3 coming to the genesis with all the gore that they have in that game uh and then obviously like with the sega cd coming around you had like night trap causing literally the end of days for so many adults it was the genesis is such a cool little system to me it's like like you were saying earlier how the genesis looked cool to you like it's got this all black look with this big circle on top of it that just says printed on it 16 bit with that volume slider on it with the headphones like and this you know this big kidney bean controller like it it seemed at the time so far ahead of the NES. And even when the Super Nintendo came around, it was so much cooler than the Super Nintendo. Like, I, I wanted to know 
just to keep going, I guess, off of your sort of history with the Genesis, like, I guess, what, what does the Genesis mean to you, you know, I guess now 30 years later? Well, the thing about it was I was like a big Sega diehard for like, after I got the Genesis for like two years, I was like all about it. Most kids I knew did not own one though. They mm -hmm. all worked for the Super Nintendo. Yeah. So, but, uh, I ended up like by the mid nineties, like I guess by ninety four, uh, I started regretting owning one because mm -hmm. there's no way in hell my parents were going to buy me a Super Nintendo. But at that point, I really wanted to start playing RPGs mm -hmm. and fighting games, and there really weren't much for the Genesis. So like there was like Street Fighter two eventually came up for the Genesis, but really like to me the Genesis word like really shined was. It had a lot of great, like, kind of mostly forgotten games now. Yeah. But that were really fun. And, like, I rented games, like, every week. Like, and I, like, I, you know, I sent you a list of all the games I did own, which is a decent amount. But I also rented games. And, like, I pretty much, like, played every, like, moderately popular game for the Genesis at some point. Just because, like, I went to Blockbuster every week. I always had a new game to try so i never really like, regretted owning a genesis but at a certain point i really wanted a super nintendo yeah i mean <laughs> like, I, uh, sorry. like chrono trigger was came out and i was like i was super into video game magazines i had a subscription to egm from a young age and like, i really wanted to play like more like complex games but like the mm -hmm. genesis didn't really had them but the genesis was really good with like mid-tier games that were like generally more violent which is a big thing in the 90s yeah. like one of the edgy violence and shit it was generally more violent games uh fast paced said mm -hmm. the blast processing <laughs> well. um, so like it, they had a lot of games that but like in retrospect were like you could kind of see as like disposable like you wouldn't necessarily want to own them but they were like really fun to rent for a weekend you yeah. know it, yeah the, the genesis one of its biggest sort of things that it advertised cool. at the start was that it was porting the arcade home. And it, a lot of the great Genesis games were definitely emblematic of that. Like one of the first big ones that I remember, you know, you know, uh, getting into gaming is like, I remember people talking about golden ax or um, like altered beast. I mean, they, and they were also cognizant of what was popular, even from the start. Like they ported the Michael Jackson's Moonwalker to the Genesis. Like, and I, I can't remember if that made it to other systems, but it's like, no, I didn't. I'm, I'm pretty sure that was Genesis exclusive. Yeah, but then, I mean, there's that famous uh, the commercial that Genesis does, but Nintendo don't. Like, I think they were clever in a way of like putting celebrity likenesses on to the system like joe montana's football was a big hit on it you had golden axe you had altered beast basically the genesis was popular for sports games uh like that's i believe ea got madden i don't know if it was started or it became popular on the genesis <clears throat> for the madden games like and then I and think hl 94 was the biggest sports game i think for the genesis really i did yeah I, it's that everyone had that i didn't but sports <laughs> guy like you owned nhl 94 yeah <laughs> it the, the the genesis like 
I mean, it was very much like the system between it and the SNS definitely pop popularized the the term console wars because that was the first time there was a legitimate case of people like arguing which system was better. Like, uh, if you had a like, we'll talk about it later with like Streets of Rage, but like Streets of Rage, when the Super Nintendo came out, it had a home port of Final Fight. While Genesis makes Streets of Rage to counter that, um, Nin Nintendo has Tetris. While Genesis has Columns, uh, but I think the Genesis has this sort of fun energy that like permeated Sega throughout the entire '90s. We were mentioning like Sega being at the forefront of a lot of innovative things, like <clears throat> like the Sega CD being like the first big console you know it was technically an add-on but like the sega cd bringing cd games to the home and even though a lot of them turn out to be fmv games i i still think fmv games are cool and interesting uh in between the 3d and the 2d space but you had a cd based console that brought cd audio home to games and suddenly now there's even a greater potential for games then you had even though people malign it, the 32X that makes now your Genesis a 32-bit console, which was a huge deal. And even <clears throat> you look at like all the marketing material that Sega had, like all their, like you were saying, all the ads are just like cool and interesting from, they would put ads out. Like I remember the, there's a Sega Saturn ad. I think it was a Saturn ad where it's like just this naked woman on a bed, but like covering her tits are just like screenshots from Saturn games. And it's like, don't you know pay attention to the woman not these awesome saturn games coming it's like uh, obviously my, my show is based off sort of the playstation aesthetic but playstation wouldn't i think be the way it is without sega sort of trailblazing in these oh, early days not. absolutely not there there was a pipeline between genesis owners and the playstation mm -hmm. if you were a kid like around my age you're if you had a super nintendo you're more likely to buy an n64 over a playstation Mm -hmm. but if you're a kid like me you bought the playstation yeah and <laughs> it's like and, and I, I love this i will say as a sega saturn owner now it's like that was a weird system to like to like look back on like i i i've always just genuinely curious like sega or sony stole all of sega as sega's diehards with those like the battle of the saturn and the playstation even though the Saturn, I think, is a genuinely cool system, but it's like Sega was like going in the wrong direction, and then it kind of course corrected itself with the Dreamcast, but it was almost too late. The Saturn would have succeeded if it weren't for the PlayStation, though, for sure. Yeah, it would have. It's, it, it's just it got killed. Yeah, it, it, just, it, it didn't have the games, you know. Even though it was a sick console at the time, like everyone like liked it and thought it was cool because you could play like demos of it like at every store. Mm -hmm. But the PlayStation, what came out like six months later? Yeah, the the Saturn came out uh, May May ninety five, and the PlayStation was September ninety five. Yeah, it partly due to because Sega got afraid of Sony and they surprise launched the Saturn right when they talked about it at the first ever E3 and it was also $100 more expensive than the PlayStation mm -hmm. like there's there's this great video from the first E3 where PlayStation goes to talk about 
you know, the system. And like one guy just comes up on stage and he just says two ninety nine and then leaves. That's yeah. all. He, it's like <laughs> I I lament that Sega is just not in the business of games. And I mean, they they still make games, but it's clear as day that they don't have that really cool aesthetic attached to them anymore. Like all all the sort of ads that I think I I've I've spent days where I just like watch all the like commercials that they did and. I do miss the days when like console manufacturers would literally just like name call each other or say, you know, this console is a piece of shit. And like Sega went out of their way to like make fun of the super Nintendo, every opportunity they could. There's the blast processing ad. There's that famous one of the guy in the, in the electronic store showing off super Mario world. And the guy wants Sonic the hedgehog because the Genesis is $50 cheaper. Oh, I didn't even know it was cheaper. Huh. Yeah, it, I think it was in '91. The Super Nintendo was two hundred dollars, and the Genesis, at least in this ad, the Genesis was one forty nine. I mean, the thing is, like, we all know it's because the gaming industry was run by dudes back yeah. in the day. So yeah, it... <laughs> shit talking was normal. Yeah, it was all in good fun. I remember because yeah, that was a thing like Sega would have ads for like just general Sega ads and they would highlight games that are available for but Nintendo ads would be mostly just like focused on like one game mm-hmm. at a time. And I remember I specifically remember this because I there's probably maybe I'm totally wrong, but I'm thinking maybe there was a time when the Genesis was outselling the Super Nintendo. Yeah the the Genesis Maybe not the Super Nintendo, but Sega was owned the video game market in America. They own a majority share. Like they did, they dethroned Nintendo for a good bit. I because I specifically remember this. Now you can find this uh, commercial on YouTube. I found it. I remember when I was like probably like ten. Super Nintendo like changed their marketing for a while to make it seem edgier. Yeah, I mean. I mean, if you even look at the consoles, like the Super Nintendo is like that off-white gray with the purple buttons. Meanwhile, the Genesis is all black with like the controller has the red buttons, the red D-pad arrows. Like even like the later Genesis remodels still looked cooler than the SNES ever could. I mean, yeah, that's also just because, you know, Mario was more cartoony and childish than Sonic, who seemed like a shit talker and was a cool, <laughs> cool guy with a mohawk, you know. But anyway, there was a time though, this would have been like later era, but I remember Super Nintendo changed its marketing a bit to make it seem edgier. And there was this one commercial where they, uh, you know, the band Ministry. I do not, it's like, sadly. It's like an industrial speed metal band. You've mm-hmm. probably heard some of their songs. Probably. Yeah, and they had like a band that was like a rip off of them in their commercial, and they were doing this like, <laughs> cool, like edgy Gen X. It was trying to appeal to teens, obviously. Mm-hmm. It was like, I don't care what you want me to be. I don't care. And it was a Super Nintendo commercial. And <laughs> it would air on MTV. And then I was like, cool guy graphics and shit popping and you should show like cool teens hanging out doing cool things and like skateboarding and stuff like that yeah they showed, they showed this like fake band like playing on <laughs> and, like, flashes, of, 
But I remember when I was like 10 when it came out and I I was like at the time like like oh wow they're trying to like emulate the Genesis now. It, so it like Nintendo will never never ever try to stay away from their like established identity which is a family console. Like even even later systems where they were not in first place like the I we were mentioning this earlier it's like the GameCube was trying to be more cool than the N64 was like the GameCube was trying to pull in third parties with more M rated games. Like even last week with Resident Evil four, Resident Evil four was supposed to be like this big Capcom uh, push to have like Capcom's like best and brightest stars on it with like Resident Evil four being part of this like exclusive resident Capcom Nintendo deal. But it's like Nintendo can't never escape the fact that like when they try to be edgy and cool, it's just kind of dorky. Yeah, I mean, also like the GameCube just looked like a toy, it was like, a, a lunchbox. Like yeah, it was a play play doh accessory. The, the I remember people people were pissed that game that uh, Resident Evil Four is a GameCube exclusive. They came out. I remember that. I mean, yeah, I mean it. It, it was that Resident Evil Four and the remake. Of Resident Evil One were GameCube exclusives. That at least Resident Evil Four became non-exclusive, but I, the Resident Evil Remake never left the GameCube. It's like I, I Nintendo Nintendo had I have like a love hate relationship because like there's sometimes when they do some really cool stuff. Like you mentioned Chrono Trigger, the Final Fantasies on it. That sort of thing. All, but, all score soft games were Super Nintendo. Yeah. So if you wanted to play RPGs, you had to yeah. You, you went to the Super Nintendo. You went to yeah. the Super Nintendo. But like, when they try to do something that's cool and interesting, then they like 180 back to like their sort of like brain numbing child aesthetic that like never they've never been able to like grow up per se. And even you can look at this at the modern day. It's like they have some really cool and interesting games. Like I adore Shin Megami Tensei five, which is a Nintendo switch exclusive, but at the same time, they're putting out like Kirby, a game, a Kirby game. That's like all about eating cakes. It's like, what what is going on? You're like Nintendo, Nintendo has for a bit, they had like the no more heroes games, uh, which I adore. But at the same time, they're like pumping out Animal Crossing, which feels inherently evil to me. Like, it, even like there's like one game I adore that was a Wii exclusive was Mad World, which is like a Sin City game where it's all about brutally murdering people as creative as possible with, on the Wii. But then like they churn out a Super Mario Galaxy two or like another Kirby game or a Yoshi game. It's like. I, I want you to I want you to do something cool and interesting, but like I don't know. I, I think what I'm getting at is I miss Sega. I wish there was a fourth fourth member like back in the yeah. day. I mean, dude, I I would have bought a Sega Saturn as a kid if it wasn't for the PlayStation. I remember like thinking it was like really cool when it came out, it, and it I, just no kids were like unless you like were like lucky or whatever. Like no kids were getting. A video game console like right after it came out like mm-hmm. you had to for your birthday for christmas christmas is obviously the big time but like i that's kind of the thing about the saturn is just like it didn't have enough time to shine on its own before the playstation came out by the time the playstation came out 
it was just like kind of everyone knew like that was the winner <laughs> before it even was said and done even before nintendo even put out the 64 it's like playstation already won like i mean basically I, and it was a fucking edgy console when it came yeah. out you know when it came out like i the games are super violent. I mean, I know you've talked about this. Before. Yeah, it's like that, it was an adult system, and that's what kids wanted. Yeah, they 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 got they got the taste of it on the Genesis. Like, yeah, they 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 wanted, you know, they wanted all like like in the first year of the PlayStation, like you have Resident Evil on it. Like, like that that's a cool ass game to like say I want that. But like your parents are just like, ew, blood, blood and guts and all that stuff. It's like, but kids want kids want cool, edgy, boundary pushing experiences. And it's like Sega just couldn't keep up. And it's by the time the Dreamcast comes around, it's like it's almost too late, so to say. Like yeah. even though I even though I adore the Dreamcast, I think it's like one of the best consoles ever. Like I, I love the Dreamcast a bits. I love owning one all that sort of stuff but it's like even sega's attempts to like be on sony's level at that point was just like it was just like a they couldn't do it like shenmue was like their try to make like a big epic scale like pseudo rpg and that couldn't get people excited uh i remember shenmue coming out and i think part of the reason that flop is because it's too exotic sounding of a name yeah it's, american just didn't know what the fuck shenmue meant yeah it, it's and it took, it took a while before like japanese names for games actually like people they give them a chance yeah a lot you of know? i mean like when you present final fantasy to a westerner and that it sounds like some sort of like lord of the rings type thing or even like dragon's quest sounds appealing to a westerner mm-hmm. but if you're saying like have you heard about the new hit game Shenmue? You play yeah. as a you play as a twenty something year old guy and you walk around town talking to everybody and you occasionally get into kung fu fights. Right. Like it I I I always have a soft spot for Sega, you know, the old Sega, because there's so many interesting and cool ideas that they were almost they were basically too early for. Like or they were too early for, but they never could like continue the momentum, like the cool, edgy uh, aesthetic and advertising campaigns, the cool games. Like I, I was, I remembered while we were talking, I remember like comic zone for the Genesis was like, I remember seeing that on game trailers and I thought that was like legitimately the coolest thing I've ever seen. Like a, a game that is emulating comic aesthetics and graphics and mm-hmm. you could own that and play that. It's, I almost I swear like no other games even tried to like do that like <clears throat> I I I just miss Sega as a console manufacturer like Sega today feels very wannabe Nintendo where it's all about Sonic games or they try to do the nostalgia of look at the good old days like with the the Genesis minis like the Genesis mini consoles uh, or the compilation games that they put out of their like hits from the arcade or at home. I I miss the day when they were pushing exciting new interesting hardware. Like I'm I'm holding right now my Dreamcast and it's like this little thing has a modem built into it. 
and it mm -hmm. let you have Sega Net and down play like games online before before the concept of like Xbox Live was a thing. I mean, they were God before the Saturn even came out though. They came out with the uh, 32X, mm -hmm. which is kind of like weird because it was only like a year before the Saturn, I believe. It was a, it was a year before the Saturn in America, and it was like six months before the Saturn in Japan. Jeez, yeah. So like, I remember like that coming out, and I think it was like looked like the coolest thing ever, and it was actually like, pretty cheap, I believe. Yeah, uh, it was it was a lot cheaper than the CD, the Sega CD was. Yeah, so like, and then if you had a Sega CD and a 32X, they even had games just for that. They're called 32X CD, mm -hmm. <laughs> but not that many. But I never knew anyone who owned a 32X because that was like so short lived. But you mm -hmm. know, apparently the arcade ports for it were really cool. But yeah, uh, mm -hmm. and I also only knew one kid who owned a Sega CD. And that was pretty sick though, because he had like everything. So I played over plays games. Like I played Night Trap at his house. He had oh man, Grandpa <laughs> Texas. Like FMV games were cool. Like people make fun of them now, but like they were really cool at the time. Yeah, they they were cool, <laughs> yeah. and and they were in many ways they're they're the predecessors to 3D games as we know it today. Like they, I mean, even like the, I think it was the the create the founder of the company that made all those FMVs like Grand Zero Texas and Night Trap like he thought they thought like FMV games were going to be their new genre of games or like kind of the 3D game of the time before like Virtua Fighter came around like Dude, they're playable movies it was amazing at the time and you know? this is another thing like looking at all those games like those are pain in the asses that they went through because it's like you have to learn how to like write a story that's like like completely jumbled up and somehow it makes sense like people make say fmv games are just so like corny and cheese it's like really like you, there's that one sega cd game where you get to like play the basketball game like from first person oh god yeah i never played that but i remember like knowing about it I and then there was the one you showed me the that ad for the one where you get to like mix and create music videos like yeah there was a, it was for crisscross yeah, crisscross music like, factory yeah that like <laughs> that's such a cool idea and people like decry it because like they think the acting is like corny or whatever it's like no like these are exciting new things coming out and of course sega was at the forefront of all this you know for for I guess for reference, when Super Nintendo was presented the possibility of a, a CD add-on system, they turned their nose to it, and that Sega that that CD add-on system became the PlayStation because Sony approached Nintendo with that idea, like, mm -hmm. and Nintendo said, "Eh, we're not going to do it," and so they birthed their biggest rival in the process. Like, you know, Sega was innovative cool and exciting and nintendo still today is like presenting the same thing over and over again and i guess to cap off this genesis part it's uh we just we sorely miss sega's presence in the console space but i think that's a great way to segue into the three games that we are talking about today which are the streets of rage trilogy
games for the genesis it is the streets of rage trilogy streets of rage one came out in a, in 1991 it came out in america on september 18th 1981 it uh streets of rage to point a, to put it uh bluntly more or less came from the fact that sega wanted a final fight competitor at the time because final fight was a very big game in the arcades in 1989 if i believe from my memory and for its high quality visuals and engaging fun beat em up uh action and nintendo got a super nintendo port of the game and it never came to the genesis and so sega wanted to sort of wanted to make their own final fight competitor uh and also they wanted to make a double dragon competitor which was the one that kind of started the console beat em up genre if you will so Sega, there was a lead designer, uh, Noriyoshi Oba, came up with the idea where his inspirations were Starts, uh, Starsky and Hutch and the A-Team and basically worked with uh, uh, members of Ancient Core, namely Yuzo Koshiro's company, who was the composer of the first game. And they basically made their own Final Fight clone. And uh scott i wanted to know what your opinion of the first streets of rage game is okay so i played it for the first time a couple weeks ago i downloaded it on steam i still 
cannot figure out if it, the first Streets Ridge came out for Genesis or not, or if it was for the Mega Drive. It it, it was one of the actually it came out for both at the same okay. time. Because yeah, it, it was everything I looked up about it was like kind of vague, and I'm like how, I was like having a hard time finding it. Though. Oh wait, uh, actually, screw it. It it was a Genesis game first, then it came out for the Master System later. Oh, Master System. Okay. Yes, it it was one of the first because this was the period in the Genesis where Sega was making genesis and master system ports of genesis games but and usually like the genesis and the master system versions would come out around the same time but streets of rage was one of the first instances where the genesis version came first and the master system came out later like it says the master system version of streets of rage came out two years later so i always get mega drive and master system mixed up Oh yeah, <laughs> and again, no Mega one... Drive is the British version of the Genesis, right? Yeah, Mega Drive is everywhere but America. Okay, so yeah, then the Master System was kind of like a failed console that Sega still continued to make games for after the Genesis came out. Because <laughs> Brazil right. loved it, apparently. <laughs> really? Like Brazil loves Sega. Like they kept the Genesis alive for so long because of Brazil. Oh. But uh, you were saying though with Streets of Rage One. Um. So yeah, it was. It's a fun game. I mean, you know, it's uh, if you just think of it like well, as you're playing it in the context of 1991, it's pretty cool, you know. It, I'm sure it, it was awesome back in the day. I, I will say, playing Streets of Rage two and three kind of null and voids the first game because yeah. two and three more or less did what one did, but on a much bigger and better scale. Like, I think what looking back on the first streets of rage because i actually hadn't played it either because everyone's like oh two and three are the best ones like there's no point in playing one and playing through it recently you really do get that fact like this does feel feel like a game developer's first shot at like doing their own copycat take on another game that was popular and i think though the streets of rage one i think even from the get-go i think it definitely set itself apart from Final Fight because, like, when I think of Final Fight, Final Fight has like the more daytime focus, and it def it has like a more over the top aesthetic. Like Streets of Rage, even from the get go, feels very, I wouldn't say fully real, but it's very more grounded. Like all these enemies are more like street gangs. They they make me think of the Warriors. Like all the enemies in these games are very. They remind me of the movie The Warriors, where they're all like punks and, you know, various eclectic different like references like ninjas and like street gang people. Like it's not I, I, like you. I think what Streets of Rage 1 does is good is set sort of, I guess, the the foundation of the series. It's more or less trying to do something on their own and seeing potentially if it would stick. And it definitely did stick. I think playing Streets of Rage 1, you, there are a lot of mechanics that are present in this game that would carry over to 2 and 3. The core fighting is still pretty fun. You know, I think they weren't sure how to do the specials back then because it's that screen-clearing police barrage that I always find kind of humorous, especially as the series went on, it's like you have that special move where it's like you have backup calling in. It's, it's very charming because it, it feels like they didn't know exactly how to like do it. And then like two and three, obviously like nailed that idea. But I think 
look, I will say this up front to the listeners, like Streets of Rage 1, there's not really a whole lot to talk about because 2 and 3 are literally so much better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think I think what Streets of, Streets of Rage 1 does best is that like, I don't think you could play it today and think it's a bad game. It's still pretty fun. Like, I think it does exactly what they're trying to do. It's being a Final Flight clone. Like, if it was basically Sega's way of saying, uh, I could do that and basically trying to copy so- someone else's homework, so to say. Mm-hmm. Well, because uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I think it was the first beat em up game exclusively for home consoles. Yeah. Final Fight was an arcade game and then got ported to Super Nintendo. And then Streets of Rage just came out directly for the Genesis. Yeah, the and Streets of Rage, even though you could play Streets of Oh my god, I've been dr- drinking a lot. Uh Streets of Rage did did come out for like a, a Genesis arcade machine. Streets of Rage was not made to be an arcade game. It was meant to sell Genesis games, but mm-hmm. consoles basically. And I mean if if anything, I think Streets of Rage won. I think it, it 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 set the groundwork for what I think Streets of Rage does so well is that it it puts an identity to the Genesis where it's like you're fighting in these neon soaked nighttime levels with gang members and you're this like co- these cool ex cops, uh, uh, Adam, Axel, and Blaze, and you're just fighting through the streets, being overpowered and just like wrecking havoc and looking cool while doing it. I think, I think uh, Streets of Rage one more or less is like just there to sort of test the waters, if it will. Like it's, it's not trying to do something grand and exciting. It's more or less here's our final fight. <laughs> it's well, it establishes a tone too because it's gritty. Yeah. Um, I've played all three Final Fight games, mm-hmm. like somewhat recently, because I have a modded SNES MIDI mini, so I have all of them on there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I've like compared because I've this past month I've played all three Street to Rage games, and so I've been like comparing them like in my head to the Final Fight games. And I mean, the tone is just totally different. It's dark, it's gritty, just grimy it's, feeling. The music awesome. is awesome oh yeah it, it's also pretty violent like obviously oh. final fight you know it's a fight it's a capcom fighting game but as a beat-em-up but like streets of rage just feels much more violent as a as a whole which i think embodies the genesis spirit like uh in later games like you have like weapon pickups like the knife like you have the knife in the first game it's like the you know you're stabbing people like as mm-hmm. like part of your move set and even though there's no blood per se, like Streets of Rage feels much more, it's like real in a sense. Like you're still doing like super moves and combos and you're like a perfect, you know, because Axel was my favorite from the get-go. Like I was never going to play Adam. I was like, Blaze is like a fun, fun diversion if I want like the speed but it's like Axel's like if I get to look like a cool like blonde guy with a mullet and a tank top with a headband like the it's like vicariously like being the best me or something. <laughs> See, Axel kind of sucks though in the first game. Blaze yep. is the best. 
Yeah, Blake, the the way that Streets of Rage differentiates these three characters is Adam is the brawl. Adam's like the tank. Axel's like the mid-ground, the mid-tier, and then Blaze is the fast character. And she can jump higher. And honestly, Blaze is much more fun to play in this first game especially since like the game is also like it's got this weird smallness to it like all the sprites are really tiny mm -hmm. in comparison to the later games like everything just feels like small scale like again it's just like the ideas are there it just needs to like get to the level of like the arcade final fight to be like the perfect game well, and the graphics for Streets of Rage 2 are literally twice as good as yeah. Streets of Rage 1. Like, I, a, isn't Streets of Rage 1 technically 8-bit? Yes, uh, I guess that transitions well, because there really isn't really a whole lot to say about Streets of Rage 1. But so Streets of Rage 2 came out actually in America first, December 20th, 1992, the perfect Christmas game. Um, but yeah, Streets of Rage 2 was a monumental step up from the first game. It was... Like you said, the Streets of Rage 1 was technically an 8-bit cartridge. They they basically modified a Genesis cartridge to put more graphics and more sound and more everything into the Genesis cartridge. I mean, they, I think on the cartridge itself, it says it's like 16-bit cartridge. Like, mm -hmm. it's finally using the Sega Genesis, like, marketed potential. And you really do see it, like, looking at this game, it is like leaps and it's leaps and bounds and i don't mean understate that it is everything that the first game thought it could be and more like it's such a i say streets of rage 2 is like literally a perfect game to me like oh it's, yeah it, it's the it, best genesis game i think it, in my it, opinion it embodies the genesis i think better than better than even oh. like sonic the hedgehog ever did like sonic was definitely a great mascot but like Streets of Rage was like you got Streets of Rage 2 is like that's the game that defines the genesis from the visuals to the gameplay, especially the soundtrack, which I think this is a good time to mention the composer of the whole series, which was Yuzo Koshiro and Motohiro Kash uh, Kawashima. They it's like they they turned they turned the soundtrack of this of two to eleven like to to put this in perspective most japanese or any game composer at the time would not put their name on their soundtracks and games but these two did like these two were able to perform in raves and clubs in japan because of this soundtrack it this is a soundtrack that like i think most people would say is the best soundtrack on the genesis it's got everything you want it's like jazzy it's electronic it's like techno it's oh my god it's, it's so sick it's so it, good like even from you, like you the, can listen to it on its own even if you're not in video game music I feel literally like, if you like dance music or like old school techno like you'll like it yeah it's <laughs> like in, like streets of rage one definitely feels like baby's first genesis game in a sense like even to the music we're Koshiro, even though Koshiro worked on like Revenge of the Shinobi, like the Shinobi games, like which are fantastic Genesis games in their own right, but it's like you hear Streets of Rage 2 and the man's like already like thinking of of a sound like a game soundtrack as something you could purchase on its own, which he did. He sold 
he they the the soundtrack of Streets of Rage 2 is so good that they were selling it physically in Japan. Like it it was that big of a of a of a big step for game soundtrack. Like even from like the text crawl speech at the beginning or even the player select screen and especially from stage stage 1 with Go Straight which is like arguably one of the greatest pieces of music ever written for a game i think most people would agree the the soundtrack just amplifies everything like the gameplay is so much better like the specials are now a la like street fighter 2 combos which the lead planner and designer um uh koshiro's sister um i'm blanking on her name i'm like but she she was influenced by like Street Street Fighter Two, where it's like putting uh like like special moves to these characters or like unique combos or even more complex moves inside the game. It's like everything is like amped up to eleven, and it's you really do feel it. Like this game was also a very rare back in the day where like five development studios were working on this game. Like Sega contracted this out to five studios to like get it out in a year. And yet it doesn't feel like a rushed game or like multiple ideas were being like clashing or whatever. It's like a perfect harmony game where you can play it. Just pop. It's like the, the uh, definition of a pop in and play game where it's like, all right, I pop this in, play two hours. That's it. Like it's, it's perfect from start to finish. In my, opinion. I was playing it last night. And I was like, this is the, f- the greatest game ever made. I mean, yeah, I really can't. I never owned it. Uh, I had a friend who did, and it was like the perfect game to play at your friend's house. Like it's mm-hmm. a perfect two-player game. It's really hard in one player, by the way. Like, oh yeah, one player. Uh, when I because I play these when I emulated back in like high school and I did through like sheer stubbornness I was just like I'm not gonna let this game beat me but like there's some enemies in this game that are just like hard ass they're just so hard it's the motorcycle enemies the oh my jet, god the, the jetpack the jetpack enemies are so fucking hard it's like I, I was I, only able to beat it on easy mode that's the only way I was able to beat it it's like impossible beyond it, that uh, it, it's it really does test you like you know this is back in the day for for all the zoomers that might be listening it's like this is the back back of the day where games were actually like hard and that was the point it's like you're supposed to play these games and get good as you know dark souls uh esque sort of thing it's like you're meant to sort of get learn learn enemy moves learn what they can do you're supposed to learn that the, like some enemies just stay in place and they're just meant to like make you look cool but then there's enemies like the jetpack guys that make me want to like smash the controller it's like i can't hit these fuckers oh my god like yeah you know, yeah that's what i mean like and because it starts off like in single player if you're playing on normal mode the first like three levels are pretty easy you can kind of breeze through them and then it just oh, yeah. gradually gets harder and harder and eventually you have to like fight like two bosses at a time oh yeah they they introduce like <laughs> bosses as like regular enemies i'm like that's cruel like there's the there's the scantily clad women i think like one of them's named carmen like when they bring her as like a enemy that you have to fight i'm just like are you kidding me like she is yeah. short <laughs> you then... have to 
fight those two girls though at the same time. I think it's like the fourth stage. Yep, yeah, I know exactly the, what you're. I know exactly. They're in the nightclub level, I guess, which is yeah. so cool. The music is phenomenal. Uh, in the bar, which is the sound, the song attached to that level. It's such a great bar song. Like, I, I feel like you and I are gonna like rave about the music of two and three. Uh, maybe not three as much, but like two is just like, oh man, perfection. Three is well, we'll get to it, but three is cool in retrospect. At the time, it was just weird as hell. But um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. We'll say that two, for three. But two, the music is like, I mean, I know I watched like a video online just about like the history of Streets of Rage games, and I was talking about the composer. And this like dance music was not big in Japan at all at the time. It was like almost like, entirely like an American phenomenon. It's like which later like, spread to Europe and got bigger in Europe than it was in the US, but it was mostly an American thing at the time, like '92. Uh-huh. So like you had like acts like Technotronic. Apparently that was the huge inspiration for him. They did the mm-hmm. pump up the jam song. <laughs> I love that. Uh, with like don't 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 and like uh, which he was able to emulate that sound of that like, just raw dance music. Slightly poppy sounding, so it's like accessible. But he's able to do that on the Genesis with his like limitations, and it's like a total like example of like a guy just like being stuck with the limitations of the Genesis sound, which was not that great. It's kind of harsh. Yeah, yeah and the... he just like blew out of the ballpark. Like it sounds so good. Like yeah, you the... can actually listen to it like on Spotify. Yeah, it's on every like, streaming platform. It's it. Uh, the way I describe the Genesis in terms of music is that it sounds like multiple like gears inside the system are grinding together and it's like in indu- it's like industrial but not like out of intention. It's industrial because like it's software it's hardware made from like the mid late 80s. And so they didn't have like you know the Super Nintendo is like cleaner and like more varied and stuff you hear you hear like the final fantasy music on the super nintendo it's like proto orchestral but with like chip tunes and like synths and all that stuff but like the genesis is like eh, 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 mm-hmm. like i think of like thunder force 4 has like an amazing song in that game that i like listen on its own but i i think what koshiro and kawashima were able to produce on this game is incredible i mean it's it's easy to just like gush about the soundtrack in this game because it is that good like i think i think this was also the period in which like people were starting to like really get into game soundtracks and game music you know even in, like on the SE or on the NES era, like you obviously had like catchy songs, but they were more or less just like kind of just stuff to like fluff the experience. Like if you were just playing like Legend of Zelda on the NES and it had like the it if it didn't have the overworld tune, then it'd be very barren and bleak and not exciting as Nintendo wanted it. But now with the 16-bit consoles now you suddenly have like music that can like set the mood and set the sort of experience as a whole and Streets of Rage is just being a cool ass guy or girl in Blaze's case like running through these crime-ridden streets 
and just like kicking the shit out of everybody like the soundtrack is just like perfect to a t there's so many great songs like go straight obviously there's dreamer spin on the bridge uh expander expander which is my favorite song on the soundtrack which is on the elevator ride on stage seven i think and it's like I posted a video today. I think I showed you too of like Koshiro playing that song at a club in Tokyo. Mm -hmm. And it's, it sounds almost like a Gabber song. Like it's insane. Like what year was that video from? I I don't know. It It, looked old. It, my guess it had to be in the mid nineties. Like it, I can't see him playing that in like two thousands, but like, I guess it would be safe to say it's like, Streets of Rage 2 music would be played in a club back then. Like it it's so like it it feels like so ahead of its time. Like uh a lot of the mute I mean like you said with in Japan this sort of sound was not present, but like I'm sure clubs and raves were playing music from artists that were very similar to this soundtrack. It's it's so it's i want to say it's like with streets of rage 2 it's so fucking cool like i mean it makes sense why it wouldn't have been big in japan at the time why it would have taken a while to catch on there and like that style of music would be bigger in america because we had drugs in america japan (laughs) hard to get it's hard to get them there and like can you imagine 1992 how I would like to get ecstasy. Yeah, from from our from dear friend of ours, Zach Langley Chichi, it sounds like uh, drugs are a no go, or you would get severely punished. So it's like, oh my god, I think he told me it was like five hundred dollars for a gram of coke. <laughs> In Japan, it, like now. Yeah, so they <laughs> they needed video game composers to like accurately like. <laughs> but yeah, like '92, the music was weird to most people even in america but like clubbing was big like i mean it was still niche but like you know big enough yeah and, i mean you know and it, it's drug music yeah i mean <laughs> like imagining someone like high up on drugs listening to expander uh like that that must have been insane like hearing at a club like late at night like off some um, some sort of drug and like it's so like Streets of Rage 2 is such like a I've said this again it's like it's a perfect game because it takes everything from Streets of Rage 1 and it just amps it up to every degree they made the gameplay more exciting and deep they made the graphics even better like somehow like I think even like from the stage one like that on the streets there like one of the things that they that they were saying that they were super proud of is like when the levels go diagonal down. Oh like, yeah, then like, you're going to the arcade and you're going. Yeah, yeah like yeah, it's so like, cool. It's it's like even for the Genesis, like the Genesis, even though it was 16 bit, it was behind the the Super Nintendo in terms of like, you know, Super Nintendo had Mode Seven with the pseudo like the 3D graphics and stuff. But even then, like Streets of Rage 2 really uses that system to a very beautiful way. Like all the sprite work is just gorgeous to look at. Like I think of the I think of the bridge level, I think it's like stage two, stage two or three, I can't remember. 
but it's like you have like the neon lit city at night and you see like the lights reflecting on the water or you know even even as streets of rage comes from being a clone it's like streets of rage 2 made that series the beat-em-up like most people would consider streets of rage 2 probably the best beat-em-up game of all time like it's it nails everything like from the gameplay to the visuals to the sound and even to the light story that it has which involves the shadowy mr x and the syndicate trying to uh uh trying you know they captured adam from the first game and it's up to axel blaze and newcomer skate and max thunder like mm -hmm. uh i i love I love these the these characters. I love how like <laughs> I, Axel is my beloved, and I think he's beautiful, man. Like I love that Axel loves video games. He's so me. <laughs> well, the thing too about I mean, Street Rage Two basically just took everything that was like cool and novel about the first game, accelerated because I, I obviously the graphics are twice as good, but on top of that, it just like. It could not have been like any more of a 1992 game. Like it is yeah, just yeah. Like, so perfectly 1992. Of I think of like in the Ninja Turtles movies. Have you seen those? Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like that's what like a cool like if you're like a white kid in the early 90s <laughs> and you have like a night and like you're a fucking dumbass little kid or whatever, but you, you think crime is cool and like you know like. Graffiti, backward hat, skateboarding—you know, like smoking cigarettes—that is like totally Streets of Rage too. Yeah, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, like the the I love you know down you know like ever even the four main characters are so like emblematic of the time. Like obviously, like Axel having the white the white tank top with the headband in the like uh, like the. The, the jeans and the specific color blaze or even down to like skate being like like a fucking little kid in his roller skates like you know rolling around roller, roller, roller blades yeah, like yeah. cool as hell at the time they became lame in the late 90s but at the time rollerblading was really cool yeah and then you <laughs> even have like max thunder being like the pro wrestler who's just like a friend of axel's like i just love that that's the explanation for him being in the game is like He's a friend of Axel's. Like that's all you need. But like Max Thunder just being like a wrestler and like wrestling starting to like get in, you know, get excited. Like wrestling's still cool and exciting. It's like all these characters just embody their time period. And it's just so it's so perfect, man. It's like I love I love this game. Like even like last night just playing it, I was just like I'm smiling like ear to ear. It's like this is the coolest game ever made. Well, in like in like uh, skate though with his rollerblades. So okay, so the plot is, Adam. The first game, there's three characters. They're all cop, like undercover cop characters, yeah. I guess. So there's Adam, who's a black guy in the first game, and then he's kidnapped in Streets of Rage Two, and then his little brother Skate takes his place, right? Yeah. <laughs> so Skate is this like adolescent black kid on rollerblades. Wearing a tank top and a backwards hat. Backwards hats were like a big like if you were a cool kid, you wore a backwards hat. <laughs> and, like back then. And so 
everyone liked Skate the most. He was the most popular character back then, I'm sure. He had to have been. Had to have been. Rollerblading was like a big deal at the time. So, and especially if you're like a kid who's like under like 15 playing the game, like you wanted to be Skate. You wanted to be, you wanted to be the character that was kind of like you in the sense that he's a kid. Like, mm-hmm. A kid oh. could face all these gang members and like wacky people and save the day, so to say. And he's a good character to play. Um, yeah, he's fast as fuck. <laughs> yeah, so my favorite character in all three games, though, is Blaze. I just, mm-hmm. That's who I always like. Like this past month, I always like primarily play as Blaze. She's um, great. I love Blaze. Even like Streets of Rage 4, like they even kept Blaze. Bla- even Blaze still feels like old blaze like she's still gorgeous even today well, she's even... a whore she dresses like a slut yeah it, it's like, awesome yeah, she's, got it's... A mini, she's wearing a mini skirt like like platform heel yeah. um you know like yeah like it, and even in the the newer games i think all they add to her is just a like leather jacket that's all they added to her like i didn't and... know you played the fourth one yet uh, i've i watched some of four and oh, okay. from yeah, what right. from what I've heard, a uh, friend of the pod, Stephen or Stefan Zarance, I hope I'm saying that right. Um, he's played for, and he says it's actually pretty good. Like, and from what I can gather, Streets of Rage Four is just Streets of Rage Four. Like, it doesn't feel like it's trying to like, it's not trying to like devalue the three the trilogy at all. It feels like, oh hey, this is what Streets of Rage Four should have been if it happened, and all the characters i mean blaze and i mean i guess it just speaks you know blaze is your favorite like blaze and axel are the only two characters in the story that carried over to four like blaze obviously blaze and axel are the favorites like uh but you can select literally you can select like almost all the characters from the older games you can play as dr zan in four you can play as a adam or adam adam comes back actually adam comes back in four and even then, like Adam still, if because the game Streets of Four takes place ten years after the third game, but even yeah, it came Adam, out a year ago, right? Yeah, t- uh, twenty twenty. Um, okay. But like, even Adam still doesn't feel like quote unquote the modern black guy aesthetic. He still he's wearing like suspenders and a yellow shirt, and he's just got like sunglasses on. Like he still doesn't feel he doesn't feel like a modern black guy in a game sort of say like he still feels like adam even from just his one appearance in one like all the character i i I genuinely love that they didn't like try to like tone any aspect of the games down it seems like like all they made all they did to axel was give him a a blonde beard and like a denim jacket like that's perfect to me like but does it take place in 2004 then I think so. I mean, I think the story of the game is like it takes 10, 10 years after the third game. So I yeah. think it's supposed to be, I guess it's supposed to be 2004 in yeah. Streets, of Four, Streets of Rage 4 universe or whatever. So, I mean, I am I genuinely want to download, like buy it and play it because it seems cool. Like one of the mechanics in the fourth game is like it encourages you to like string together long combos because getting long combos gets your health back like that's a cool mechanic in the game but i I won't get too sidetracked with four because we're not really talking about four but i think 
a good way to cap off Streets of Rage 2 is that like I think it is such a great game on its own that so many people still think about it. Like Streets of Rage 2 is the one that people think about. They think it is one of the top five Genesis games of all time. Like it Streets of Rage 2 defines the system as it is just as much as a Sonic the Hedgehog or even <laughs> even like an Echo the Dolphin did. Like Streets of Rage 2 isn't a Sega game, but I guess that brings us to the final game, which is Streets of Rage 3, which came out March 17th, 1994. Now, this one's an interesting one, in my opinion, because this game... Now, have you ever seen the Japanese version of this one? Uh, just recently, because I watched a video on YouTube mm -hmm. about the history of the game. So I know they censored the U.S. version... Where they, like the uh, like Blaze isn't and the, the female villains are wearing like less revealing clothing. The, the, uh, there's uh the infamous Ash being removed from the game entirely. Yeah, he's, so he's like a muscle guy, right? Yeah, he's, he, yeah, he's wearing like a spandex like swimsuit with high heel leather boots and a leather cap, and he has like a male sex symbol draped like necklace. And he's, you know, he's basically supposed to be a gay man, like, and yeah, he's he, a, like, he like prances with his yeah. <laughs> I love. Wow. He, yeah, he prances like you know, like the like you know, his hands are flailing about, and when you beat him in the Japanese version, he starts crying. Like, like they did not bring this over to the U.S. version because he was offensive, but that removes in a 1994. Part of, yeah, it, offensive. Like, yeah. Says, yeah, like homophobia is fake. Like you know, <laughs> they already thought that was offensive in '94. Yeah, <laughs> and it's it's sad too because Ash is a playable character. You can play as Ash in the Japanese version. Like, like yeah, he wasn't even like a. You didn't have to put in a code to play as him or anything. I, I mean, I it's insane. He's wearing like a fucking jockstrap, right? Like, I, oh my he's god, a, he's a Tom of Finland character. Yeah, he's basically. Uh, a Tom of Finland character that you can play as in this game. So, I mean, before we get too far off... by that 94, though. I mean, really. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like, it's so funny in hindsight. Like, okay, so before we get on to so Streets Rage 3, more or less is like Streets Rage 2 with some slightly different things. And some of those slightly different things didn't gel well with the audiences of like 1994 um obviously we mentioned ash who was you know basically censored in the uh in the western release they covered up a lot of the female enemies in the game where in the japanese version they're basically wearing like just basic bikinis and stuff and in the u.s version they're wearing like jackets to cover their body they changed the story around in three where they removed the bomb that kills three thirty thousand people at the start of the game. Like they're, they're, I didn't know that part. Yeah, wow. the in 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 the Japanese version of Streets of Rage three, um the inciting incident, I guess you could say, is there's a experimental weapon that is detonated over the suburbs of the city and it kills 30,000 people and like wounds almost like 100,000 people and uh, Dr. Zam who's one of the characters worked on this weapon but he's like that's not what I intended it for so he goes to Axel and Blaze to be like we need to stop Mr. X from you know ruling the world sort of thing but 
in the US version, they took out that bomb plot where in the US version, it's all about Mr. X is swapping out government officials with cyborgs. Like it, it's a, it's a weird turn of pace for Sega to like censor a game this hard. Like they, they even changed the outfits of the characters. Like, like Axel wears a yellow shirt instead of a white shirt. It's very strange. Like it, I think in like Streets of Rage 3 isn't, and they also infamously made the US version harder, much harder. Like, oh, yeah. They, it's, it follows in the, in the lineage of, um, like immediately it made me think of Devil May Cry 3, where, um, the initial version of Devil May Cry 3, uh, in America, the Americans' normal difficulty was the Japanese easy. Mm. or no 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 it was the the japanese normal was the american or or oh my god i'm so drunk uh the japanese hard the japanese hard difficulty was the u.s's normal difficulty well apparently the reason they did that was because they didn't want americans to rent the game and beat it yeah yeah and then not buy it so they intentionally it's, it's okay so uh it's literally impossible to beat in single player if oh, you're yeah. playing on regular mode so you have to do easy mode but if you beat it in easy mode you're only getting like three fourths of the game you, you, it ends after stage five yeah like, and you... they do that intentionally because they want you to buy it because yeah because the thing about beat-em-ups they're generally short you could rent if you're a kid you could rent a beat-em-up beat it for the weekend you'd have no reason to buy it so yeah. i kind of i kind of get why they did it <laughs> it's it's you know? it's it's i mean emblematic of the time where it's like you know you know not to be because i'm 27 and it's like i hate to say like well you know young whippersnappers this day don't know about renting but i remember renting blockbuster it's like you know you would rent a game and then like if it was bad you would forget about it but if it was a good game you keep renting it but what if we made the game artificially harder that way you kept renting it and kept giving us money and a lot of games did this. I mean, it's it's very much like the arcade philosophy of like game design, where it's like, if we make the enemies cheap and difficult, then kids will give us money through their quarters. It's like Streets of Rage 3, it's such like a... I would say the Japanese version is much better because it, it's, it has like the Streets of Rage 2 difficulty, which is, I think, perfect, where it, it's not too hard where it's like it's like controller slamming but it's not too easy where it's like you're mindlessly playing it like it the japanese version is very fair maybe a little difficult probably you know like you were saying earlier but like the american version is like okay uh you thought you were good at games how about you play this big boy like it's and also this game has four different ending or like multiple endings like depending on how you play the game like i remember when i was younger i brute forced my way into playing street to rage 3 when i was better at games and i got the bad ending i got the ending where they all die basically like where Mm -hmm. mr x's plan succeeds like it's (laughs) it's oh my god the the street to rage 3 is like a bumbling little mess at least the american version i guess Okay, hold on one sec. I gotta pee really, really bad. Oh, that's fine. Okay. I do too. I yeah, do too. Yeah. <laughs>
God, I just peed for like two minutes straight. As I said last episode, the looming cloud of piss hangs over my show. <laughs> I don't. I, I've never day drank. I, I I rarely do ever, but it's pretty fun. Not gonna lie. Do you usually record this at night? Yeah, I that's I usually record after work, so it. It's that's like my best time, and then I drink. I've 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 had drinks every recording with a guest. I was sober during my solos, but whatever. Uh, what we were saying about Streets of Rage three. Uh, yeah, I mean this game is ball bustingly difficult if you're playing the American version to borderline unfair. Like, I it feels oddly unsega to me. Like. I mean, it still is Sega. Like, the aesthetics are on point. I love this sort of shift to a very cyborg aesthetic. And this is emblematic of the soundtrack, too. It's, uh, like, I love this sort of cyborg aesthetic. I love the level that's literally just a Shinobi reference. Like, which is, uh, you know, representative of the fact that um, Yuzo Koshiro worked on the Shinobi series. But, like... I mean, this game is like wants you to like pour blood, sweat, and tears into just like getting that to the point where it's almost like I don't want to keep going. <laughs> well, the thing is, like, this is the first time I played it since it came out, which is like two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, since I only played it in one player. I feel like I just didn't get the full experience of the game because when I was I owned this game when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and it was one of the last Genesis games I ever owned before I got a PlayStation. I think it was like the second to last one after. Uh, then my final one was Castlevania Bloodlines, but so but beat 'em up games at least back then were all about co-player. Like you always had a friend over to play them. So this time I I just like played these like at work for like an hour i would take like an hour break at work and play them uh-huh and uh so i didn't i since it was a single player it's literally impossible to be on normal mode so i had to do easy mode to actually like complete it but i only got 75 percent of the week where it's like fuck i just didn't get the full experience um but i remember when i was a kid when it came out being disappointed by it i enjoyed it it was a fun game but uh, the level design is not as interesting. As yeah. Two, two. Um, it's brighter. It feels like more like a Final Fight game, which isn't a bad thing, but yeah. it, it does feel more like it feels more Super Nintendo y, I guess. Uh, and, uh, I, I'm curious. We might have watched the same history video about these three games, but it's like Street Fighter oh. Three has a, at least the U.S. version feels very Super Nintendo of Sega, like the censoring, the sort of brightness of it, the more, I get, I wouldn't say cartoonish, but like the removal of the grit and the grime and the yeah. s- grossness of it all. I mean, granted, Street Fighter Two is not gross, but like. It's definitely grimy. It just feels dirty. It feels like yeah. you're like walking through a yeah, dirty it feels, alley. It just know? makes it makes me feel think of like early '80s movies or late '70s movies, New York City. Like that's what it makes me think of. Like, but like Streets Rage Three definitely feels. I hate to say this term. It's like it feels very gameish. Like 
here's the video game. You're a, you're a muscular uh, guy beating up people and they're wacky characters and, you know, that sort of thing. But like Streets of Rage 2 feels like grounded. And I, and I'm glad that you mentioned your experience with it. Like, I'm curious what you thought of the, you know, because we mentioned how much we gushed about the, the two soundtrack. You know, when when you were younger, how did you feel about the soundtrack? Because I know this is like this was a sticking point for a lot of people back in the day, uh, with the Koshiro soundtrack of three. Um, I don't remember like hating it or anything, but the thing is, in '94, the style of music, which is very like in retrospect, like revolutionary for its time, it's it's basically what would now be considered IDM music. Uh-huh. So Apex Twin, like anything on like Warp Records, like Square Pusher, Autoker, oh, yeah, yeah, Plaid. Yeah. It's like that. It's like atonal, some of the songs, you know? It's it, not catchy, really. Some of the songs are, but not really. Yeah, I mean, the, Koshiro called this the method in which he wrote the songs as automated composing system which was more or less letting the system generate sequences of music and granted my music knowledge isn't as in-depth as yours you know i see all your cds that you have and the literally several hundreds of like unique and interesting music you have but like it seems you know people say like Streets of Rage 3 music inspired people like Aphex Twin or uh, I guess you, I, I might be remembering this wrong, but maybe even like Autecker, like with the sort of letting the system generate the music and you definitely feel that. There's a lot of songs that just don't feel like game music. It feels very random, very obtuse and harsh sounding. Like, I mean, there's still obviously like bangers if you will. Like there's dub slash which is like my favorite song of the game like dub slash or i think it's called like city train or crazy train which is like the infamous stage six boss theme with the jet characters like there's some really fantastic music in this but it's like so wildly out of place for 1994 that i think that that's the reason why this game is i would say nowadays more fondly looked upon like I yeah. think it's it's Streets of Rage 3, I think, as people are more cognizant of the Japanese version where, you know, stuff wasn't censored. Because this is the thing, too, is like the Genesis was an American console made by Japanese people because America was Sega's biggest market. Like they weren't that big in Japan, oddly enough. Uh, yeah, Streets of Rage 2 actually was only made because of the American market. Apparently. Yeah. And you totally feel that like uh, Sega was very focused on the America side of their company infamously to the point where like Sega of America, Sega of America and Sega of Japan were like constantly feuding with each other. But like, uh, Oh my God, I lost my place. Uh, <laughs> What's alcohol. We're talking um, about the music. Yeah. The, the music is like, yeah, I don't know. Like, Obviously, like nowadays, I can appreciate the music. Like, I really do think it's a really interesting and cool soundtrack. Like, there, there's so many bizarre things that, like, I could totally understand why a 1994 kid is like, what are these random bleeps and bloops that like make no sense? Like, but I guess it it services the theme of the game, which is all about like 
Mr. X replacing these government officials with cybernetic clones of each other, even to the point where Mr. X himself is a brain in a tube, like the soundtrack complements it. And I think in retrospect, people can appreciate it a lot more for being so daring, but like, I think that's honestly why people don't fondly look on three. Like I asked a poll yesterday, what people thought was the best streets of rage game. And it just finished like five minutes ago. And it said two was the best. Like mm-hmm. there's a few people who said three and there was like two people who said four was the best. Um, I think three has aged better in, I guess in hindsight, like there's a lot of elements about the gameplay that have gotten better, like the special meter instead of like the special taking your health away. That makes sense. Like, and the grander story where they have like cut scenes where the characters are like saying dialogue sort of thing. Like there's still not much though. Yeah, it, it, I mean, you know, this, you know, back then games were not like cut scenes with voice acting. It's just like still frames with like text boxes, but like, Streets of Rage 3 more or less feels like all they could get out of the series within a year's time frame. And I think I think that I don't think it nails everything that it's trying to set out for. And maybe that could be just the American version is so infamously difficult where it's like it takes so many things away from what the developers wanted that like Maybe maybe if the Japanese version was the all-encompassing version that the entire world got, then maybe Street Rage 3 might have been viewed better. But there's I think three is like a I could see the ambition, but it's like they kind of misstepped, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Oh, and to be fair though, since these are co-op games primarily, like people didn't really play beat em up games in single player back then. These were games when you had a friend over to play. So, oh, yeah. like, I didn't even, like, know the Streets of the Retreat was, like, a hard game. Because I, I almost like, never played it single player. And, and, and it was a game you owned. Because I wasn't into sports games, really. Uh-huh. It was a game you, like, bought specifically to play when you had a friend over. And, 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 that, you know? and, and, and that was a defining thing about Streets of Rage was that you could play it with a friend. Like, the final fight port on the SNES didn't have co-op or a second player option. It was only single player. And Streets of Rage was built from the ground to have a friend play it with you. And the game is even better with a friend. Even like 1 and 2 benefit highly from a a second person. Because like there's moves where you can like hold enemies and you can like punch the, the, the grappled enemies. Like the game is clearly designed with two people in mind. There's even a great thing in the second game where I think it's the second game, maybe the first game It's the first game where if you and your friend disagreed on the uh, proposition that Mr. X has, you two could fight it a la double dragon. And, you know, I think, I think that uh, streets of rage if possible, is best played with a friend. But I I think what makes Streets of Rage 2 so special is that you could play it with some, by yourself and it still hits every beat that they want you to. I think Streets of Rage 3 falters because it 
almost relies too much on like the social it's a weird thing because most of the time like with a multiplayer experience whether it be co-op or pvp player versus player the sort of social aspect kind of like enhances the experience but like it's like streets of rage almost like falters because it relies so heavily on that and it's just like now streets of rage 3 is like uh it just kind of it like buckles a little bit where it, it you see like i wouldn't say like faults in the design but it's just like yeah at this point they were just like so concerned about multiplayer and like getting money out of you like if you had a friend over who didn't have shooter a3 and he played it oh hey there's another sale right there mm -hmm. like I think Streets of Rage 3 saw the money while Streets of Rage 2 saw the potential of what could be done with this genre. Oh, yeah, definitely. It, it, have, you, have you played Final Fight 3 by any chance? I haven't. I, I, I've okay. heard it's... I, I've seen videos of it, but I have not played. I've only played the first one, to be honest. It's really fun. Like I, own, I have it now because I've got modded super mm -hmm. mini but it's basically like the idealized version of Suture Rage 3. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super late uh, SNES game. I think I think that came out in 95. Yeah, it, that's it's super very late. it's very similar. The graphics are fucking phenomenal, but it's yeah. very very similar to Street Rage 3. I almost feel like that game took the best elements of Street Rage 3 and then made it better. Yeah, they, yeah, they feel very, very similar. Even like some of the levels feel kind of like a ripoff of and, Street Rage. And might I add too, I love Streets of Rage the two. I mean, this whole series it very much is like, I don't know if it was like poking fun or just like homaging Capcom. Like, I think in Streets of Rage two, where it's like there's the enemies that look like Blanca from two. Like, there's mm -hmm. enemies that look like Blanca. There's they. <laughs> They take levels from Final Fight One and just like copy and paste it with a little bit of difference. Like in Final Fight One, there's the level on the beach, but in Streets of Rage One, it's a beach level at night. Like there's a yeah. big dif there's a big difference there. Like uh, I, I I don't know. I mean, I guess to wrap it up our discussion, like Streets of Rage, you know, it's such a fascinating series because it never got beyond the Genesis except with the exception of four but that's like kind of a nostalgia revival project yeah like but, what 26 years later <laughs> yeah the, yeah 26 years later it's like <laughs> which by the way the developer the publisher of streets rage 4 did a revival of the tmnt uh beat em up they did like a sequel game too like this year which by the way looks great I, it looks fantastic but like uh, absent these nostalgia revival projects like Streets of Rage I think at the core of it at the end of it all defines the genesis of the console it's scrappy it's edgy it's a little bit dark and grimy but I think what lies underneath is a very detailed lush and just fun as hell experience even with Streets of Rage 3 being kind of uh, hard as balls or streets of, streets of rage one being you know the tiniest bit bare bone like i think the series very much 
reflects its console and reflects its publisher, Sega, at the time. Like they were trying to one up Nintendo at every chance it could, whether it be embracing uh, the more violent, more edgy, more cool underground aspects that were happening around people at the time. I think, you know, I think it's important to people to play these older games because it, you really see how these developers just understood the, you know, understood the assignment back then. Like, they didn't need 4K visuals with, uh, like, ambient occlusion lighting or, like, you know, ray tracing or anything. They just needed a 16-bit console with an outdated Yamaha chip from the mid eighties and just two controller ports. And that, that experience defined, defined a console. I think that's the main point of this episode. I, you know, at the end of it. Well, also the Genesis did not have that many beat em up games. I mean, it really as, didn't. as far as I like all I, th- when I think beat em up on this console is golden X and suits of rage. Like that's yeah. the only t- it, and then there was a TMNT, the Hyperstone Heist game, which like didn't I don't think it was that big because Turtles in Time was way bigger, and that's for SNES, and that was an arcade port. Yeah, yeah. Um, but other than that, like yeah, and like the Golden Axe games all came out before. Yeah, they they were like la- they were like launch games. Like... Yeah, like I I barely ever played them. I think I maybe like I think I played Golden Axe two at like someone's house once. And did Golden Axe three even come out in the US? I don't know if it did. <laughs> I, I don't remember but i mean when you look at like a golden axe which is high you know conan the barbarian beat-em-ups but then you see like streets of rage and it's like oh. sega understood what kids wanted what teens wanted they want they wanted to be either a sexy girl in like a whore outfit beating up baddies or being like the most beautiful aryan blonde guy beating up the street thugs in mm-hmm proto new york city like sega sega ancient core you know whoever you want to attribute to street streets of rage i think is the perfect sort of like bow to the you know to this little system right here like you know sonic the hedgehog's great but i want to be on the streets of rage sort of thing Mm -hmm. so i think the way to cap it off is I want to thank you Scott for a wonderful wonderful time it's been such a joy and I think that is the perfect place to cut that now